Q&A Sunday. You know, there are a couple of questions that I had planned to, to cover for today. And as I line them all up, and I'm on page six or seven of notes, which for those of you that, that have never prepared a teaching or, or spoken before and understand your word counts and your page counts for notes and everything, six or seven pages of notes would have us into tomorrow for me. So um, you're welcome. Um, there's not going to be more than one question today. And uh, the reason for that is as I got into this question, it forced me into something which is honestly very exciting for me anyways, into studying the scriptures and how to study the scriptures. And one of the things that I want us to, to do today is if you don't normally take notes, capture some notes today, even if it's on your phone, in the back of your hand, whatever it is, because the question itself forces you and me to start looking at what does it really mean to study the Bible. Because if I'm to take, actually I was talking to someone the other day about Bible study in general, and I said if Bible study is required for Christianity, then what do the rest of the people in the world do that don't have Bibles? We have to kind of think about that. The other side of it is, not that it's not valuable, but the other side of it is, we in America are probably more biblically ignorant than those who don't have Bibles. So what's our excuse? We have hundreds of English translations, everything from slang all the way to 1611 English that no one speaks anymore. What's our excuse? And so I actually shared with this group of people, I said, in, in America, I believe that Bible study is something that we should have as part of our Christian walk because what we have as Christians in this country is one of the, the greatest opportunities ever to know the truth of God to know what it is he's spoken to us over time. And so we have, I believe, an obligation as Christians in this country, and that doesn't mean move out of this country so you don't speak the language anymore, but we have an obligation as Christians in this country uh, to grab a Bible that we've got. We've got tremendous studies. We've got entire universities dedicated to the Bible, to Christianity, understanding all the history and everything else. Uh, So as we go into the question today, let me just read it for you real quick. says this, in a recent message, you said, Jesus commanded us to tell the world about him. In the Great Commission, he was speaking to 11 disciples, not us. Now, let me pause there for the next part of the question, because if you've ever come to a service here at Rise, or you're listening online right now to the recording, you've heard me say the Bible is not written to us, it's written for us. And there's a reason for that. It wasn't Dear Joe, it says to the church at Corinth, it says to these people, I'm not those people. So we have to look at it as if it was for us, meaning that it has applicability to our life. The next, the next part of the question is this. Since the Bible is not written to us, how do we... By the way, I did not submit this question. This wasn't self-serving, by the way. Since the Bible is not written to us, how do we know when contextually Jesus is speaking to us and not just to his disciples or people of that time? Now, you can take this question and stretch it and say, how do I know what in the world the Bible is saying at any point in time where I read it? And it's important. I will tell you that there are promises in the Old Testament that we hold on to today as New Testament Christians that while they're true of God's character, they didn't apply to us. For I know the plans I have for you. It's not for you. That was for the coming Messiah. So you can name it and claim it, that verse all you want, It doesn't work because it wasn't to you. 
And I'm not saying that the God's character changes, but we miss what was really going on there. We miss the fact that later on in that verse, God really talks about the big issue. That most of the time, Jeremiah 29, 11 is beautiful, but we miss the solution of the problem when you miss 20, 29, 12 and 29, 13, when it says, your heart is not all after me. So we want to feel good when we read the Bible, right? No. We want to see who God is when we read the Bible. So when we, when we go into understanding Scripture, when we go into wanting to dig into it, we, we have to look at our mindset as we go into the Bible. We can go and read a self-help book and find out the bad ways and, and the good things that we should do. But if we go to the book of Leviticus looking for, how do I feel better about myself, we're going to be confused and likely nauseous. Or if we go to Leviticus and say, show me who you are, God, you will see Leviticus in a way that you've never believed it could be read. Ever. In fact, one day, whenever God guides, we will go through the book of Leviticus, and it will probably be one of the most amazing, grace-filled, messianic studies we've ever done. And that sounds strange, but it is powerful. So, back to the question. This question kind of goes in line with what it is that we're going through on our Wednesdays in our evangelism class. And what I want us to look at real quick, I'm going to read straight through the Bible verse that I'm assuming is part of the, uh, the question, and then we'll go into answering it. So here's the Bible verse, just for our, so we're all on the same page. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given, and you, if, you, if you open your Bible to this, there's some words I want you to underline. They're very important grammatically. They're very important contextually. They're very important to understand Jesus' authority and everything he's trying to say to us. So you've got Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all. In fact, when I say the word all, yell out all as we read it. Are we ready for that? Ready? Okay. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given authority in heaven and on earth. We're going to go to the next verse. Therefore, go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Every verse has an all statement. It's important to realize that. We'll get into why that matters. But just so you can understand, in fact, that word all in the Greek, because we kind of get a little Greeky here, that word all in the Greek means something very, very important. It means all. It's completely broad. It, 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 it's used in cases where all means all. And in this case, when Jesus is speaking, he starts off with the phrase all authority, which sets the context and, and blows any other interpretation out of the water. So let's dig into this. Because it's important for us to understand when we go into Scripture, what are some methods for all of us to have for getting all the context in a piece of Scripture. You guys have heard me kind of jump around a little bit on John 3.16 and, and, and how so often we, we have this poor God the Father lost his only son. But when you read the Old Testament, if you take that stance, if you read the Old Testament, you read the book of Job and it says the sons of God came. Deuteronomy 32.8, the sons of God. There's these sons concept. You go into later on the New Testament and it says what? We are sons of God. Now, I thought it was his only, one and only son. Well, if you go in and you look, 
and you get a little Greeky, and you look at the word there, it's actually monogonies, one and only of its ever genetic kind, unique, never to be done again, never done before, son of God. That breaks open a whole theological world. We look at the context of what was trying to be said there. So let's look at a couple methods to get context. Number one, it's very important when we read, especially this scripture here, Matthew 28, to determine the intent of the speaker in the verses. Now, sometimes we can't do that. It's impossible, and I will tell you right now, and this is a Bible teacher saying this, it is impossible to understand and contain everything that's in this book. Now, that might sound a little strange. That may not be what you've been taught. It's several thousand years old, and you're going to ask me a question, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to go to what a translator said. The translator is going to say, we don't know what that Hebrew word means. Does that mean that this scripture now isn't trustworthy? No. It means that it's divinely inspired, and I'm not divine. And I have to wait sometimes to see what he has to say. I have to wait to understand the context. Over time, most Bible translators and Bible scholars will tell you that any commentary or biblical reference work is considered old and potentially useless after 20 years because of how much we learn about Scripture every 10 to 20 years. We learn about culture. We learn through archaeology. We find Hebrew writings where it all of a sudden defines a Hebrew word, and we go back and we go, let's go back to the translation here. We don't have to use a literal word. We can use the actual word that it meant and so on. That we're growing in our knowledge in Christ. We're growing in the knowledge of God's character. So it's important to put in an effort to say, what is the intent of the speaker in those verses? To try and find out what is, what's that drive, what's, what's behind why that was said. Now, here's why I say this. This works in any relationship with anything and anyone. If you're married, this will stop fights. If you're at work, this will stop fights. This will help you stop being so stinking sensitive when someone tells you you did something wrong. This will help in so many areas of life, but unfortunately, we don't even do it in our relationships with people, let alone the Bible, do we? Some of us can look back on this week and go, man, I got hurt over something that I completely misunderstood what they were implying. So that's why I say often with Scripture, challenge it. Ask it questions. I'm not afraid of what you're going to find, and neither is God. Neither is God. He wants to reveal himself. It's not a cruel hide-and-seek game. He wants to expose his nature to us. So dig. And when you hear that thud just at the bottom of the hole, get that treasure out. See what God has to say in it all. Dig. So we have to determine the intent of the speaker in the verses. Next, number two, find other areas in Scripture where the topic or the intent is spoken of beyond the current audience. So, for example, let's say you're, you're thinking about this with me. And you're going to say, okay, Joe said this on Sunday. Joe said, don't be mean to your kids. And you come over to my house and you peek in my windows, which is kind of creepy, but you peek in my windows and you watch me screaming and slapping my kids and throwing them up against the wall and calling them morons and doing all these horrific things to them. And you're like, well, wait a second. What Joe said in the pulpit is different from what Joe does at home, so I can't trust either. Now, that's why we talk about the character of our God so much, because when he speaks in one place, it's always the same in another place. So if we find two places in the Bible where it feels like God is saying something different, who's confused, God or me? Me, or you in this case. 
whichever one. So we go into other areas of Scripture and find that topic, find that, that meaning and that intent. We look for the character in the heart of God. I will tell you that in the Old Testament is the character of God well concealed but made very, very bright through the work of Jesus and his work on the cross. And we find those character traits. I love going to the Old Testament to reassure what is stated in the gospel or by Paul or by Peter or by John because it's all there. Why? It's the same God working from one front to the back. It's the same. Next, number three. Oh, you got to click back on the screen for me. There we go. Locate where other Bible writers or disciples confirm it. So first off, we look for Jesus saying something and look for it elsewhere of him saying it. Now, if it was Jesus speaking, I'm going to go in other areas and say, you know, what did Moses have to say about the character of God? What did Peter have to say? What did Paul have to say? What did John say? What did some of the prophets say about the character of God? Does this match his character? Either the consistency that's in this book is right, or it's a mess, or it's wrong. And here's the thing. Go into Scripture expecting to find something about our God. And when you find it, challenge it. Look at it. Find more information that has to do with it. Go to another translation. I know for me, whenever I study through the Bible, I have anywhere from 6 to 12 translations I'm reading to understand what was really going on in that one verse. Now, you don't have to be as nerdy as me unless you want to, which is awesome. But taking the time to dig and find out what was in that verse. Why did he say it this way? That word doesn't make sense today. What is really going on here? A great word that for some reason, I don't know why translators continue with it up until probably the late 80s and 90s, is the word tongues. When I went in high school, I took, what, a foreign language class. I didn't take a foreign tongues class, did I? No. I took a foreign language class. And, and we, there's certain words that just don't make sense to us today because they're carried on because of tradition or a, a, a challenge in translating certain words, and so they just leave it because it could remove certain meaning by changing it around some. It's important to dig into what Scripture would be saying. So let's use these three methods to go to Matthew 28 and find out, does the Great Commission apply to me? That's the question I want to ask. Does this verse apply to me? I have had conversations on both sides. I've had conversations on, on one side that says there's nothing else we should be doing but evangelism. Like literally everything, everywhere, just throwing tracts at people. And if they don't want God, hit them in the face of the Bible and move on. Then there's another side of it that says, well, that's not really my deal. There's some people that are evangelists, and then there's others that just should suck the life out of people in churches, you know, just by attending and, you know, doing, you know, whatever they feel like. My, sorry, I bit my tongue was in my cheek. So the, the center of that really is where I want to be because we all have to live life. We all have personalities and differences of opinion and, and gifts and strengths. So where does Scripture apply to all of us? Well, let's look. Let's go back to Matthew 28, and we're going to study here the intent of the command verses. What was Jesus' intent with these verses? So let's read this again together, not out loud, but Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, the word all really, really changes this whole translation, this this whole study here. And I want us to realize, if I said all, I mean all, right? For my poor kids, I'm going to say it again, and for some of you who have heard this before. You ready? Donuts or bacon? Which one should I do, guys? If I get a pack of bacon, and I threw it at one of the kids, and I said, hey, cook all the bacon up, and I want all of it on a plate. If they give it to me, and it's missing one of them, did I get all the bacon? No, I did not. So I didn't get all the bacon. And there is one to blame. We have one that eats a lot. He ate my bacon. All equals all. I don't think that's confusing. If, if we bought a meal, if we went through the drive through somewhere and we said, I want the combo and I want all the things that go with the combo, and they hand you a little kid cup, no french fries, and a burger, did you get all that you ordered? No. Are you okay with that? No. You're not. We can't be okay with that with Scripture. All equals all. So something for us to realize here, when Jesus starts out the very first statement, this command applies because Jesus' authority extended beyond the immediate audience. He says, all authority in heaven and in earth, in eternal, non-time specific, to time itself. His authority extends beyond the reach of whoever he's speaking to at that point in time. And so if his authority does, then whatever else he's speaking about does also. So you have all, in this case, all authority equals all, meaning he can tell whoever and whenever what to do. Next, all nations. Thankfully, it didn't just apply to the disciples because I would never have heard anything. But I did, because all nations is included in that. All commands. And this is, this is the one that puts the nail into the conversation now. He said, teach them all the commands I've given you, including go, therefore, into. All the commands. Even this one. So that's looking at kind of the intent. He used very specific language. He didn't use a lot of big words. They were very general, very generic Greek words that were used in most of this section because Jesus was making it simple to a group of people to be able to keep reproducing this type of mindset for every Christian. The second question that we have to look at to find the other areas of intent, where did Jesus potentially say something like this before? Is this the only place? Which it doesn't mean it's invalid if it's the only place. It just makes it hard to begin to build the case and understand all the context. Not impossible, just harder. So what was Jesus' will and purpose? Do we see that will and purpose elsewhere? Do we see the go into all the nations, preaching and, and disciple-making and baptizing and all that as part of other things that Jesus talked about or did? For those of you who know the Gospels, you probably realize, yes, that's, that's a majority of what his whole ministry was about. But I want to talk about real quick parables. Open your Bible, if it's not open already, and turn to Matthew 22. Jesus used parables to speak complex truths in a way that are repetitive. We may not understand that today. How many of you are storytellers? 
You like telling stories. I'll raise my hand. I love telling stories. Absolutely. Those personalities are the personalities that kept traditions moving on. They kept understanding so we don't forget what we, we learned in the past. And we're able to apply it forward to our future. Stories were important. So Jesus used parables to get across his purpose. Matthew chapter 22, you'll see here, some of you might recognize it, the parable of the marriage feast. Verse 1, and Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like, now, now here's something I want us to realize, the kingdom of heaven is like, the way that God runs his place is like. The way that God runs those who are in his family is another way to look at it. We're in his kingdom if we're his children. So here's what it could say. Christianity operates this way in its most healthy form. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Hmm. And sent out his servants. You can circle his servants and put me right next to that. Sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all the things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it. They went their way, one to his own farm, one to his business. Verse 6, The rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. He sent out his armies, destroyed the murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. You can underline that. As many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him in outer darkness. I want us to realize something from this parable as Jesus shares about what the kingdom of heaven will look like. The kingdom of heaven itself has lots of pictures that Jesus taught from. And I I love reading the parables that say the kingdom of heaven is like. There's amazing truth of how God wants, how he is operating or will operate the kingdom of heaven. But one thing from this set of verses here is that he said anybody who are his servants within the kingdom are charged with what? Going out and inviting all that they come upon to the wedding. Now, here's what's amazing about this. What he doesn't say in here is, go out, and if they don't want to come to the wedding, scream at them and tell them they're going to hell and go to the next person. Who took care of the judgment portion? The king. We have to remember that. Now, sharing the truth when someone says, I don't believe in this or I don't believe in that, I'm not saying shy away from the truth. What I'm saying is it's not our job to open this to read to them, and when they don't listen, beat them in the face until they pass out and then move to the next person. Our job is to invite. 
And the beauty of an invitation is what? It's voluntary. Do you want to come? No. Are you sure? It's really cool. No. Are you positive? No. Okay, cool. I'll go to the next person. And that's what we see here. The king even said this. They were sent out, verse 3, invited to the wedding. They were not willing to come. Verse 4 says what? Here's some fringe benefits here. Here's some really cool things. Are you sure you don't want to come? There's literally a feast going on here. And what do they say? I'm I'm good, dude. Hope Hope that works for you. And they moved on. And the charge of the servants was to continue to go out, to continue to go out, to continue to go out, to continue to go out and invite. Here's a point that I want us to remember before we change into another section where Jesus shares his will. The job of God's servants in the kingdom is to invite outsiders to be part of the kingdom. Remember from 1 Corinthians two weeks ago, when we read that list of just horrific sins, and, and it's an often quoted set of scriptures that people will use, even I myself have used it in conversation before, of, you're going to hell if you do these things. But the reality is, is that Paul was writing to Christians, and the reason he shared that list was to say, all these people you're hanging out with and treating like buddies, you're sending them to hell because they're not part of the kingdom because they hang with you. You're to be sharing the truth so they know they have a choice to make. So just like the servants here in the kingdom in this parable, their job was to go out. Here's the key thing, to go out from the kingdom, the hanging out with the other Christians, and to do what? To be in the highways and the byways, and anybody they come across gets what? An invite. That's huge. And it's amazing how so often, all through my entire life of following Christ, I have had one common question. There's many as I have got, many of them I've gotten. I just want to know the will of God. I feel like I'm just not sure on his purpose for me. You know what my first response is? Go into all the world and share the gospel. Are you evangelizing is what my question will be. Well, no, that's not my gift. You don't even know the Bible either. And I don't mean that to be mean or nasty or, or gross about that, but that's an unfortunate and painful truth is that if we believe evangelism is something for, you know, well, that guy with the microphone up front that just talks about Jesus all the time, I'll just, you know, make it personal about me. I just want to keep it simple. Me and the J. No. No. Oh, I, I, I was sharing some theological points with somebody who said they loved to study the Bible. This is how it started. And I share with him some things, and he stopped me partway through, and I offered a book for him to, to purchase and, and dig more into the concept. And he said, thanks for the offer, Joe, but I don't really want to do that. And I said, why? I said, you realize your theology has gaps. Based on our discussion, you've said it, it has gaps then. What do you mean? He goes, Joe, I just want it to be simple, just me and Jesus. And I said, you can't do that. You're an American Christian. You have no excuse. You should know more. You have everything in front of you to know it. We have people that spew out truth from the Scripture that is validated in multiple translations and multiple studies that we can go through. There is no such thing as an American Christian who says, I just want to be dumb for Jesus, unless you don't have access. We all have the opportunity. You guys aren't going to know Greek. I get it. No one's going to know all these different studies and so on. But we've all got incredible apps and books and so on to seek out what God would say. His response, unfortunately, to to my gentle challenge back was, well, I know that's for you. 
And it was, sad, it was very sad to me because this person really did love Jesus. And there was a gap in how he was evangelizing, how he was working, and how he was pushing on his own character traits unto Jesus that do not exist in Scripture. But they were good because they felt good. Or sorry, they were good because they felt good. Or God because they felt good. And we do that a lot, but it's just simply not his character traits. So it's a challenge for us as we get into understanding his will and purpose from the parable to realize that our, our, his will and purpose should be our will and purpose. And if we're seeking will, if we're seeking purpose in our life, this is one of the biggest commands that crosses everyone, male, female, every culture, every country, everything, is the commission to us. Next, Jesus makes some direct statements throughout the Gospels. And we're going to kind of go through those somewhat rapid fire. First, you have John 17, 17, where he's praying specifically for Christians. And he has a group of Christians he's praying for, praying for the disciples. And then he moves. And I want us to, to get that picture here. John 17, verse 16. They do not belong to this world. He's speaking about the current disciples he's praying for any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Now, these are, these are purposes, these are traits, these are wisdom statements by Jesus. You have this, make them holy by your truth, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. Next, you have in verse 17, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice. Now, he just said, send them into the world as I've been sent into the world. Then he says, I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me. Oh, crud, that's us too. That means we've got to back up and go, well, what did he say before that? Well, that's a great idea. So we back up to that and we say, oh, wait, we're sent like Jesus was then. We're to be purified by his truth like the other disciples were prayed for. We're to, as you look at how Jesus was sent, given as a holy sacrifice, giving up all will, all desires for what? For the better message to get across, for holiness to be transmitted to others. At what cost? Mine. Not theirs. That's massive. That's massive. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever hear and believe in me through their message. Next, for I have come down, uh, in John 6, he says, for I have come down from heaven to do what? The will of God, who sent me, not to do my own will. If I go back to the previous verses, we say what? We're sent as Jesus was sent. So if we're sent as Jesus was sent, then whatever it is we're here to do is to do his will. I'm kind of making some logic connections here, so track with me. We go to the next verse. These are direct statements by Jesus, Luke 19 says what? For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Again, the purposes of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus. I have sent them just as I have been sent. So if Jesus was sent with a set of directives, how are we sent? With a set of directives, directives that he's given. Luke chapter 4, verse 43, but he said, I must announce the good news of God's kingdom to the other towns also. That is why I was sent. To do what? To announce the good news to others. Jesus' sent statement here, coming from all other areas where he says, they're sent 
just like I am sent. Now, that also includes other things. Jesus said, I have the power from the Father, from the Holy Spirit, which is what we're sent with. I have a purpose. I have protection. I have vision. I have a commission, whatever it is. We're sent in all those ways, just as Jesus was. That's why it's very important for us to realize that when we say, I just want people to see Jesus in me, or you know, do people see Jesus in your life, they're not going to see it because we're good. Jesus did so many good things, and they still killed him. They're going to see Jesus because we have the same message as him, not because we look like him. Not that doing good isn't right, but doing good for the sake of good, hoping that, the, that God gets across, isn't always successful. It's very important to realize. And Jesus gives these direct statements, and he finishes off. We got one more here in Mark chapter 1. And he says, after John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee. He preached God's good news. What was the next statement here? The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Turn away from your sins and believe the good news. This is Jesus' message. And he always was sharing about this kingdom, this new kingdom, this new movement that was going on. It was what drove him, knowing that he would have us back. So as we look at both the parable statements and the direct statements of Jesus, we realize something, that the command applies to us because we are sent with the same mission that Jesus was. Some of this was borrowed from a teaching I did a couple months back called Consider Yourself Sent. We did a three-part series early on in the year for telling life what to do. There's a whole bunch more detail related to that in that whole series. But the last teaching was consider yourself sent. We're sent. We're sent out to do something. Now, we can choose, even though we're sent to just not obey, we all have that opportunity. We all have seen it in our own kids. We've seen it in our coworkers. Maybe that was us ourselves. Yeah, I know what the rules are. I know what the expectations are. But I know what I want, and they're different. We've all been that way. So let's keep digging, though, because there's still more to look at to challenge this section of Scripture, because there's the third section, and that was, yes, Jesus said it. Yes, it was communicated by him in other areas, but let's remove the piece of Jesus said it to, did people who heard it understand it the same way I am? Have you ever been in a conversation, and if you have teenagers, you definitely know this, have you ever been in a conversation where you said something And then a couple days later, you come back and you're like, hey, why isn't this done? And half the kids are like, I didn't know you told me to do that. You were here. You nodded your head. I don't remember. Right? Everybody was in the room and you know what was said. I'm not looking at any of my kids right now. So what did the disciples hear? How did they walk? What happened to their lives based on what Jesus had said? How did they interpret it? So number three is, was it just the disciples that obeyed, the people who were spoken to on this command, or did it move on to others? Did they believe that the command was was to other people than just to themselves? Because they were there. I wasn't there. The only thing I have are the witnesses. So what did the witnesses think of that? Well, let's look at this. Paul, Paul told the Philippians about the Great Commission. Here's what he says. Do everything without complaining and arguing. He's talking to Christians. He says, stop the complaining and the arguing between each other. 
They don't like this, and, and, and they sing this this way, and it's too loud, and it's too quiet, and they use this Bible verse, and she wears pants, and they should wear dresses, and, and you should wear this, and you should kneel, and you should have pews or chairs or nothing, and all this different complaining, and then the arguing. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Well, I go to this church. I go to that church. Paul says, stop it. That's not what it's about. Here's what he finishes with. Stop looking like brats so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights. Where? In a world. He didn't say, go to the light bulb aisle and turn on a light bulb. He didn't say, go to where it's sunny and make light. He said, go to where it's dark and make light. That's the Great Commission. A flashlight is useless in the summertime. It's only in September we find out that we have no idea where our flashlights are. And when we find them, the batteries are all dead. Usually we just take them out and give them away free of charge after that. Connect it. That was a pun. We give the dead batteries away free of charge. There we go. Dads, that was for you. Happy Father's Day. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Running a race. Work was not useless. What was Paul's whole intent in this this statement here? Was to be bright, shining lights. Now that sounds a lot like a teaching Jesus talked about that had to do with a candle and a basket and a hill maybe. So Paul took it seriously, and not only did Paul believe it and walk it, but he taught it to an entire group of people whose letters were passed around in other areas there. Paul also shared how people can't really know unless we're telling them. Now, we don't actually understand, unless you're part of the current youngest generation in America, We may not understand the importance of evangelism because we've grown up in a very Bible-friendly and Bible-oriented country until now. Evangelism felt like it wasn't as much needed in America because, well, everybody knows about Jesus. But I will tell you that there are people that I have talked with that know of this Christian thing and know of this Jesus But they have no idea about this concept of sin, church, uh, dying on a cross. They They literally have never heard it. That is normal, by the way. Not the concept of everybody gets the Bible and just chooses to ignore it like we've had for many, many years. So this, this, this message that Paul's talking about in Romans, you have to put yourself in the mindset of he's going to a country that is completely Roman, that has had worship of pagan gods just borrowed from other, other countries, other nations. And he tells them something. He says in Romans chapter 10, it's exactly the same no matter what a person's religious background may be. The same God for all of us, acting the same incredibly generous way to everyone who calls out for help. This is Paul talking about Jesus. Next thing he says is this. Everyone who calls help God gets help. He's talking about genuine, from the heart type of request. But how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? How? If someone came from another country and they had no idea that search and rescue was a service that was up here, what are they going to do? 
They're going to fall and yell and scream something in their own language and die because they don't know who to ask for help. And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? See, it's only in the past four generations in the United States of America, maybe five generations, that we've started to see the breakdown of simply osmosis Christianity where I I heard churching happen, so therefore I get the whole church thing. But we've missed the fact that God said in Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 8, teach your children when you're standing up, when you're sitting down, when you're lying down, when you're walking, when you're doing all these things in life. What do you do? You share of what? The character of your creator. Christianity doesn't happen by osmosis or association. It happens through a personal relationship. So Paul was sharing with that, with the Romans, that these guys don't know. They don't know the good news that's going on. Next he says this, and how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? Go. And then he says this. I love this. I love this translation of this phrase. That is why Scripture exclaims. That is why Scripture shows this excitement with this specific statement here. A sight to take your breath away. Grand processions of people telling all the good things of God. Can you imagine if every Christian truly was evangelistic and making disciples? That's amazing. We're like fighting over the atheists. Like, no, 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 I want to tell them about Jesus. No, I want to tell them about Jesus. No, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. Can you imagine if that's what Christianity really looked like? Instead of, well, wait a second, you're reading from the NIV from 1984. You know, the NIV that was translated in 2012 uses the word differently, and you, which is what ends up happening. And we argue about, well, you know, you shouldn't listen to him because he goes to that one church, or, you know, you should listen to me because I go to this church, and, 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 and. Now, let's just talk about Jesus. We've got a massive problem, and it's not the church we go to. It's the God we serve. That's the issue. So the whole message of, of this section of Scripture is, can you imagine the beauty in the spiritual realm of an army marching arm in arm against its enemy? And can you imagine the embarrassment of an army where every single soldier is running around randomly shooting people and going, oops, sorry, boot that, I shot you in the back and went over somewhere else. Which is unfortunately what the church has done sometimes. And this is the beauty, is that we have one mission and one vision. We're not all going, well, I think I'm supposed to be this, and I think I'm supposed to be this. We do have one mission, the great commission that we're to be committed to, that we're to be driven by. And it's a great thing if you're going to one-up somebody to go, well, you know what? I got to share with 37 people about Jesus this week. Oh, well, I shared with 38. Oh, I want to be motivated. I'm like, I don't want him out telling people about Jesus. Jesus did more for me. And so we keep getting motivated. I can't stop talking about him would be our motivation. It's important. You guys, actually, there's a great teaching that, uh, several great teachings we've heard in the evangelism class, but one of the things that stuck with me was that evangelism should be driven by the fact that we have experienced our Creator. That's, that's phenomenal. I hear a prayer often that for those who don't feel the desire or need to worship God, likely have never experienced God. And that the closer we get to our Creator, 
the more we have no other choice but to worship him. Proximity to God as it increases more and more drives us to overwhelming worship. And his purpose becomes an overwhelming drive for us. It's phenomenal. So as we continue in these sections where we see the disciples, we have Peter. He told a group of Christians. In his letter, he says this, as he's talking about the Great Commission. But make sure in your hearts that Christ is Lord. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope you have. I love it when someone says, what's your problem? I usually respond with which one. There's three people that know me. But the other part of it is, not only give an answer and say, it's Jesus. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, it's one of those. But we have, we have this intelligence word in here. Be ready to give the reason for it. There's a lot of people that will not be in heaven that will say, I'm blessed. Jesus has done great things for me today. Because they don't really worship Jesus. They worship Christianity. They worship the experience. They worship the fringe benefits that they have of being next to someone who is filled with the Spirit and so on. But being able to give a reason and say, it's because of Jesus. And I get it, it may sound strange, but here is why. And guess what? They can't say a word because it's your personal testimony. Well, no, you didn't experience that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you have cameras in my house or something? If I told you, listen, I had delicious three eggs scrambled with tons of Colby Jack cheese to where it was more cheese than eggs. I put them in tortillas that were slightly warm with some hot sauce on there. And you got to have more cheese on there on top. I'm starting to drool on the microphone here. Rolled those up, and I had two of them this morning for breakfast. Now, none of you are going to look at me and go, well, you're lying. If you do, you're going to lose because that's what I had for breakfast, and my personal testimony says so. You can't argue with it unless you're creeping and watching me. And then we've got a whole other legal problem at that point. I'm trying to expose you maybe. I don't know. But our personal testimony, when we give the reason why we have hope in the midst of of literally a, a hellstorm of problems in our life, and someone goes, what is your problem? Like, literally, everything's falling apart. What is your problem? Well, which one? <laughs> and then we share. I love giving conditional answers because you know what it does? It forces them to talk. Now, sometimes, as an extrovert, that's awesome for me, right? Because I want them to talk. As an introvert, you give one-word answers because you don't want them to talk to you, right? Stop it. Take that time. Engage. Sometimes God sends the unsaved to you. And Peter says, if they're sent to you, be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks. Perfect, Joe. I always wanted to live only in my house. Guess what? When UPS delivers your Amazon groceries, he needs to hear about Jesus too. And then the end of it here, but do it gently and with respect. Live so that you don't have to feel you've done anything wrong. Some people may say evil things about your good conduct as believers in Christ. If they do, they're going to be put to shame for speaking like that about you. I would rather get in trouble 
for being too Christian. They can get in trouble for being a hypocrite. That's a great problem to have. Like, well, you don't really act like a Christian. Well, what's your definition of Christian? Being like Jesus? Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. I'm wrong. Here's the next thing. Before Jesus even came, when you go back to the Old Testament, before Jesus even came, God said this, that he wanted his works shared. Here's what's amazing in this. The book of Psalms, verse, uh, chapter 96, verse 3, says this. Publish his glorious deeds among the nation. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Even in the Old Testament, the character of God was what? To share of the amazingness of this Yahweh God. To share of this amazingness. The charter hasn't changed since the Old Testament. That's what I love. It hasn't changed. See, the, the, the Jews themselves are a picture, unfortunately, of the tendency of human nature. And that is to receive a set of guidelines from God, receive the blessings of Him, and then quickly close our arms around it. Fast forward a couple thousand years, Jesus is crucified, the church begins. Within a couple hundred years, Christianity has closed their arms around the blessings of God and said, you can't have this unless. It's the same thing happening. It's the same human nature. Psalm 96 declares that that's never been God's intent to close the door. I want us to realize as we look at these last few sections and we begin to wrap up here, the Great Commission applies to all who call themselves Christians. But here's the because. Here's the because for this. First off, going back to what we talked about, Jesus' authority transcends time and location. Yes, he was talking to these disciples, but the way he spoke about it, he said all authority. And that's not enough to stand on. So we go to the next piece here and we say, Jesus' will and purpose was what? To reach all with the truth. And we are sent to invite outsiders to be with him. We are the sent ones. That's his purpose and will. And it applies to us also. Next, the early Christians treated these commands as if it applied to them, and they weren't even there on the hill when Jesus spoke to them. You have this consistent response. Paul wasn't there. How did Paul have the whole Great Commission as part of his life? He wasn't there. But he knew. He knew that was the call for a Christian, the Great Commission. And then finally, when we look at the purpose of God, we look at what he's driven us to. God's purpose has been to have his amazing works declared for all time. There's never an end to saying how awesome God is, how awesome God is, how awesome God is. And that may include how awesome God is. Look at what he does for those in the nation of Israel. I want to be part of that. How awesome God is and look at what he does for those who are in his kingdom because Christ said all are welcome now. But it never stops about how awesome our God is. The call for the Great Commission hasn't changed. It's still the same as God had called for us to declare His great works. So I want to share two parts as we close this morning. And I want to share one thing is for those who call themselves Christians. In this case, I guess, since I could never know, those who are. But those who call themselves. Here's the first thing I want to challenge us all. With answering this question, this is really what this calls us to. Go. Reach 
the lost, grow the found, and send them on that same mission. Does that, anybody think that sounds familiar? And for those that are looking at me going like, I don't know what he's talking about and his grammar's all wrong because he's got weird capital words in there, look at our sign. It's our vision statement, reach, grow, send. It's the whole picture of the Great Commission. It's the whole picture of all throughout Scripture. It's the whole picture of all throughout the whole Bible. Reach those who are on the outside. Grow in what? In the relationship and the knowledge and growing others up. One of the most painful statements made in Scripture I saw, the book of Hebrews, where he says, listen, I can't believe this. It even says in Corinthians, you should be the ones teaching, not me. You should be the ones leading studies. You should be the ones mentoring. But yet I have to go back and carry you, like we read in 1 Corinthians, and give you milk again. I don't want to be in that category. I don't want God to say, Joe, you're asking me basic stuff. You already know the answer. Joe, you're asking me basic stuff. Get off your face, quit your whining, Joe, and do what I said. You want to talk about some some motivation in life. I had a friend of mine, right after he had become a Christian, his drive for evangelism was massive. And you know what his reasoning behind it was? He got saved when he was in his early 40s, and he said, Joe, the fact that God didn't strike me dead for 40 years through multiple marriages, multiple infidelities, multiple things that I had done means that his grace is enough for all the other people I can talk to. So I'm just going to share it. I mean, he literally can forgive me. He can forgive anyone. So he shared, and he shared. And you know what happened? After a few months, he ran into some struggles in life. He ran into some stress at work. And he came to me, and we were chatting. And he's like, I just, I just struggle. I just want to know what the will of God is for me. And I said, you know what you haven't talked to me about in the past few weeks? He said, what? I said, you haven't talked to me about someone you talked to Jesus about or talked to about, talk to about Jesus. He's like, yeah, I just, I just really haven't had the time, whatever. And I said, if you want to know what God's will is for you, do what he's already asked you to. Within a week, boom, he's back at it. Same stresses, same problems, same marital issues that he was struggling with, but now all of a sudden, he was driven by the purpose that God had designed him for, and he was spewing out truth, so he had to be filled again, so his devotion times had purpose. Why? Because the more he knew of his God, the more he could share of his God. The more of his character that I understand, the more of his character I can communicate to others. Boy, that's a drive. If there's any other drive, let that drive us all this week. Let that be what motivates us this week. Go, reach, grow, and send. But there's another thing I want us to understand. For those that maybe don't call themselves a Christian or maybe used to call themselves a Christian, here's something I want us to consider Jesus came, just like, just like Paul said to the Romans, how are they going to know unless they're told? How are they going to be told unless someone tells them? I'm going to tell you. I have a microphone and you're stuck in a seat because it's awkward to get up and walk out on me right now. Jesus came to forgive the sin, the wrong worship, the choice to say I'm going to do life my way because I feel like I know better than the one who created me. Remove the guilt because it does not feel right when we do wrong, no matter how hard we try to hide it. And restore you to a relationship with your creator, your designer, and your purpose giver. And I, I just, I, can, you, can you imagine 
starting off life, being born, cut from the umbilical cord, and left there. It doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense at all, but that's what we have throughout the world for those that are not with their creator is gasping, starving spiritual people. Cut off from life, born into this world, away from their creator, and we have the solution. I want to challenge for those of you that don't know that as I close in prayer here this morning, in fact, let's just bow our heads because I want to kind of break this up into two pieces. First off, I want to break this up into, number one, if God has really touched your heart to be driven by the go, be driven by the Great Commission, to realize that as we studied through Scripture, which was kind kind of a Bible study is what we did, ask God to give you that motivation for the Great Commission. I'd love to pray with you this morning. Raise your hand. Amen. In fact, I'm just gonna, I'm going to pray right now with all of us, and you can you can pray with me, whatever, and we'll we'll pray a separate prayer in a second. But God, I want to be motivated by you. I want to be so overwhelmed with your amazingness that I can't help but share with somebody about it. God, I want to be so affected by you in my life that it just leaks all over the place. I want to love you more than me. So that no matter how how awkward it is, I still share about you. And God, give me eyes to see the doors you open. Amen. And then finally, in closing this morning, while, while every head is bowed and eyes are closed, is there... Is there anyone who wants to commit or recommit to Jesus on this weekend? To say that they want to either be back or be forgiven for the first time. I just want to give that invitation. God, I thank you for this weekend. as we close up a time studying the the truth of your scriptures, God. I'm encouraged to know that all throughout the Bible you have shown us that your heart is to reach the lost and that we are sent in that mindset to do that, God. We may not know everything, God, and it's terrifying sometimes to wonder that if I get asked something that I just can't answer, will it drive them from you, God? And I don't want to be part of driving them from you, God. Remind us of the truth you said, that the Spirit will give us the answers we need at the time we need them. To rely on the Spirit and not our flesh. Use us this week and every week coming forward, God to share your truth with others, to be used by you, God. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen.